It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into to a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued, you have purpose. Today's drive for excellence, take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, we were made for this moment. And thank you to the team I work with. That's producer Steve, producer Luke, Zach, Patty, Keith, Echo, Charlie, all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. And producer Luke is manning the boards on this Monday. Happy Monday to you, producer Luke. Happy Monday to you, Kim. It's a little chilly out there. Oh, only a little. <laughs> Negative four. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit, uh, bit nippy. <laughs> it's that global warming, Luke. It's, it's getting me. Polar bears, they're dying already. Yeah, that's why we are spending million, billions of dollars on global warming, uh, a.k.a. now climate change. Uh, and, uh, and it's really not about green energy. The green and green energy is the green that all these people are putting in their pocket, Producer Luke. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth, for sure. So, hey, it's great to have all you here. Check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly email newsletter. We send those out on Sunday. You'll get first look at our upcoming guests as well as our most recent essays. We promise not to just uh, infiltrate your email inbox. We send out one email a week. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights or their property or their uh, freedom, their livelihood, their opportunities or their lives via force. And force can be a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation. It's a way of stealing uh, money out of your pocket, but it's just a very stealthy way to do that. Or, of course, the Davos globalist elites and the world at the World Economic Forum and their agenda. And so if something's a good idea, you should not have to force people to do it. A um, couple of things are our America's Veterans stories yesterday. Really interesting. Uh, I introduced interviewed author Andrew Biggio, and he is a veteran, uh, and he um, is a veteran of both, I think, Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, but he's written a book, The Rifle, and it's combat stories from America's last World War II veterans told through an M1 Garand, and the M1 Garand rifle was the rifle that was issued to most all of our military in World War II, and so it's a fascinating interview that will rebroadcast this Sunday, 10 to 11 p.m., as well as then the next Saturday, 10 to 11 p.m. So super interesting uh, with that. Uh, our quote for today, I will run over to Edmund Burke. And he was an Anglo-Irish statesman, an economist and philosopher. He was born in Dublin, Ireland, and he served as a member of parliament between 1766 and 1794. He was born in 1729, and he died in 1797. And so many people... 
have quoted this, but it's really true. It says the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And Luke, I imagine you've probably heard that before. Yes. Oh, yes. It's, it's one of my favorite quotes. And I chose that because in our featured guest in segments three and four of our number one is uh, we're bringing back Alvin Liu with Courage is a Habit. And we're talking about how this transgender um, agenda has infiltrated our schools and it's primarily come through school counselors. And uh, words are so interesting. Um, Utah and Wyoming apparently are um, in the process of passing legislation banning the transgender mutilation of children. But it was so interesting. Words are so important, Luke, that uh, they're calling this mutilation of children gender-affirming care. And you can see how the, the, the narratives, it's the same thing. It's uh, either through pharmaceuticals or also through surgery, uh, basically mutilating children. But you can see how the, the words, it's the same thing happening, just the words are different. But we need to be honest and call it what it really is, Producer Luke. I agree. I agree. And so, again, that's why I chose the Edmund Burke quote is, first of all, we need to know what's going on. And that's why we do this show is to help inform you uh, regarding that. And then uh, we all need to do something about something. And he says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And I see so many amazing people stepping forward to uh, to take a stand on something, to to go to school board meetings or become just just even talking with their neighbors about these important issues. That is the first thing, because interestingly enough, a lot of people do not know what's going on. A couple of other things I wanted to mention. Uh, this was a number of people emailed this to me because I think primarily because of uh, all that we're doing regarding our concern about the price of eggs here in Colorado. And uh, it's curious that we have had fires uh, at many production facilities and apparently the third one of the well one of the largest um, egg producer production um, places here in America um, had a significant fire yesterday and uh, many many chickens died because of that but it's just so curious we're having so many fires at our production facilities. And of course, we will talk with Trent Luce on Wednesday about that. He is a sixth generation uh, farmer and rancher. And we continue to talk about our concerns regarding public policy and our energy security and our food security. So that'll be a very important conversation to have. Uh, how are we doing on time here? Um, let's run through some headlines. I wanted to mention, first of all, we talk about property rights all the time, and rent control does not work. Uh, we see that in New York City, and we've seen um, legislation here in Colorado regarding trying to control rents, uh, and uh, it, it's 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 crazy because land uh, landlords their costs are continuing to go up. And so how are they going to absorb those those costs? And there are many just regular everyday people that have bought rental property uh, so that they can create cash flow for themselves as well as create uh, retirement funds equity in these properties. And they buy them and because they're going to rent them to people so that people have a house over their head. And the landlord's costs continue to go up. 
but you see legislation that is wanting to um, control those rents. Well, that actually is uh, is a um, an assault upon property rights. And government should not be getting in between that agreement between the renter and the landlord. But now, uh, this is from Reason.com, it says the Biden administration is flirting with imposing nationwide rent control via ex- ex- um, an executive action. This is so far out of the lane of what he's supposed to be doing, uh, first of all, from a national standpoint, but also from an executive order. Uh, these things are supposed to, well... Uh, would actually have to be done through legislation, but it is an affront upon property rights. And so it's really not constitutional, Producer Luke. I agree. I mean, you talk about it all the time. Why is this the role of government to begin with? Like, why, why does the government influence any of this at all? And the reason that how... and. and exactly. You, you've nailed that. But the reason... So they create a crisis... And that is, is that housing has become very expensive, but it's primarily because of government policy. In metro areas, it's because there's been urban um, corridors that have been put up that there's uh, around these urban corridors that you can't um, build more houses. And if you have more people coming in and you have less houses, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out you're going to have shortages and price increases, Luke. No, it doesn't take a rocket scientist at all, yet some people still seem to be missing the mark on where the problem is. Right. So they create the problem, and then their answer on all all these issues is government control. The answer is not government control. It's freedom. It's the uh, and, and liberty is the responsible exercise of freedom. So it's freedom. Instead of limiting where people can build houses, we would want to actually expand that. Now, it needs to be done, though. Well, I, I want to just throw this out uh, regarding all of these apartments that are, are being built uh, all over the Denver metro area. First of all, I think that they look like Soviet Russia. Second of all, many of them are subsidized housing, which that means that it's taking money from one person to subsidize the the rents of another person. But yet the developers, typically on these big apartment complexes, and if they're doing um, uh, subsidized housing, somebody said, don't call it subsidized housing. They call it affordable housing. It's subsidized housing. And a listener actually texted me and said, we should call it socialist housing. But once you start to take something from the government, whether or not it's subsidized housing, whatever it is, you start to give up freedom. So when you take free stuff, there is always some kind of, of, of strings that are attached. And while some people may want to live in an apartment, uh, many others would like to own their own home or own their own condo. But you're seeing the World Economic Forum, when it says by 2030 you will own nothing and be happy about it, one of the things that is a direct assault, it's upon property rights and home ownership. And uh, so subsidizing housing, uh, again, it's taking money from one person, subsidizing for another, and many times the developers are receiving um pretty sweetheart deals on this whole thing. So why are we building apartment buildings instead of condominiums and uh, single family homes? It's because 
uh, it's really because of public policy that I believe is being pushed through by the World Economic Forum, Producer Luke. I mean, hey, it sounds about right. They're really, really going hard on this. You'll own nothing and be happy about it. And so far, much to my personal chagrin, uh, they're succeeding quite fabulously. Well, and so they do that through uh, uh, housing, high taxes and fees, and then additionally, high inflation. And uh, that's that's why we need to keep, uh, you know, keep pressing forward on the truth on this so that people understand what's going on and know that we can turn this around. That's the other thing that is so important is it does not have to be like this. So, for example, with the um, price of eggs here in Colorado, uh, and uh, one of the reasons is because of this cage-free chicken legislation, we can turn that around. People are pretty frustrated about the uh, bag tax. We can sack the bag fee, or it's a bag fee, sorry. We can sack that, uh, and we can do that through legislation, or if need be, we could do that through an initiative. We can turn this around, so I want everybody to know that there are solutions and hope. And the show comes to you because of uh, many of my great sponsors, and at Roger Mangan State Farm Insurance, Roger knows that life can be challenging. It's the Mangan's team uh, mission to maximize your financial security as you manage the risks of everyday life. Call Roger Mangan at uh, 303-795-8855 for more information. Like a good neighbor, Roger Mangan's team is there. I can't believe I just scratched that card. Find my insurance card. Dude, what do you have in this glove box? Ew, are these socks dirty? Oh, forget about the socks. I need my insurance card. Just pull it up on the State Farm mobile app. But I can do that? Oh, hey, I can do that. Yep, it's called service. I can file a claim on here, too? Yeah, it's it's called service. Whoa, I can call my agent, too? It's called service. Three Points Financial, a comprehensive, fee-only financial and tax-focused company, considers all the pieces of a client's financial life. There are no sales or commissions involved, and all advice is fiduciary, putting the client first. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz, co-owners of Three Points Financial, take time to work with you regarding decisions that affect your financial present and future. Whatever is happening in our world and with our economy, you have financial goals that matter, and Three Points Financial offers personal, real-time plans for savings, retirement, investments, and taxes, both tax efficiency and preparation. There is no better time than now to focus on your financial situation. If you are interested in learning more, contact 3PointsFinancial.com to schedule a no-obligation introductory call. What do Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, and Nikola Tesla have in common? None of these men graduated from college, but each of them had enormous intellectual curiosity. Scientist Dr. James Lyons Weiler is creating a new kind of educational model for the busy, intellectually curious, IPAC EDU. Classes are affordable and interactive, and experts in each of their fields with courses in biology, philosophy, analytics, health and wellness, political science, chemistry, regenerative science, and psychology. There is a spring 2023 course for you. Dash over to ipacedu.org, ipac-edu.org for more information and to register. That's ipac-edu.org. No matter how you define it, inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. 
Individuals must understand what is going on and who is responsible. That is why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. She has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim could use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at KimMunson.com. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you should not have to force people to do it. And I just wanted to mention the uh, Marine Memorial Foundation, the USMC Memorial Foundation. Uh, they are a great nonprofit who I truly support, as you know, with all my work with veterans. It is so important that we honor them, that we recognize their service. And a great way to, to do that is to help with the uh, Marine Memorial uh, remodel that will be happening out at 6th and Colfax. And you can go to USMCMemorialFoundation.org and contribute uh, to this very important project. Paula Sarles is the uh, president of the USMC Memorial Foundation, and she and her team are working diligently uh, to raise the money for this uh, this remodel. Uh, the Marine Memorial was built in 1977, so it's time for a facelift, and you can help them by going to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. Uh, on the line with me is Holly Green. She is a concerned citizen about some subsidized housing that was uh, approved by the Douglas County Commissioners uh, interestingly enough, the Douglas County Planning Commission unanimously voted to not approve it, but it was a 2-1 vote to approve it. And uh, Holly Green, um, there may be a possibility that you could um, stop this subsidized housing in your neighborhood. Holly Green, welcome to the show. Yes, we are. We are looking into the appeals process, which, of course, is very complicated and made difficult for average citizens. Um, this is, you know, so long on so many levels. You could look at this through the lens of should the federal and state governments be involved in competing against private developers to create housing, apartments, uh, homes, etc., that is at the same price point as private developers are building. And unfortunately, the subsidized groups are doing it with your dollars and my dollars. And and they're doing it to the tunes of millions in their own profit. Uh, again, your dollars and my dollars. So there's our, our first kind of overarching issue. Secondly, you know, it's position of what property rights uh, should prevail in cases like this. Should it be the property rights of the taxpayers and the homeowners, the registered voters of the area? Or should it be the rights of developers uh, from outside the county who, again, stand to make millions? They'll make a seven to ten times the return on their investment uh, at our demise. So we're in a very interesting scenario uh, where we are part of an area in uh, Douglas County called a separated urban area. It is a distinct land planning area, and there are established policies covering it. One of those is that uh, expansion is generally not supported unless there is a case for compelling public benefits, such as supporting the fiscal health and lowering overall indebtedness of the tax rates by residents. Well, again, this project does absolutely none of that, but two of our elected county officials decided 
we believe from a very emotional place, you know, oh, my daughter could live there, and oh, this is something that Polis is pushing very hard, so we have to be careful. Um, and they, they made a decision despite a unanimous denial by the planning commissioners who had listened to more than eight hours of testimony. These two of the three elected officials decided that they would go, they would go forth with this project. So, and that, that opens up a whole other can of worms. Uh, and I was out driving this area. Where is this located exactly? This project would be built at the corner of Scott Road and Parker. So basically across the street from the current pinery. Now, the interesting thing about this is it doesn't really fit into the, I mean, right now it's a piece of rural property. So to plop Correct. down what it would it be, three or four story apartment buildings uh, right there, it, 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 I mean, that's a, a big difference between rural land to um, <laughs> yeah. subsidized housing right there. It, it really doesn't make sense to me. Uh, it, no, there are, there are, yeah, you're right. There's nothing except multifamily, I'm sorry, except single family homes within a radius of 1.5 miles in any direction from this property. Uh, there's extensive build out of single family home in this area. Um, there are no public transportation options. There are no sidewalks to shopping there. You know, it just, it doesn't make any sense if you just step back and look at it from a common sense perspective. And it certainly doesn't make any sense from a look at the county master plan perspective uh, as well. There are also endangered species on the property. You know, we've got all sorts of issues. It's a really complicated affair. Well, and when and as I look at all of these apartments uh, here in the metro area, first of all, World Economic Forum, their goal is is to have people. Uh, not own anything by 2030, and one of the ways to do that is to assault uh, and attack private home ownership. And right. so to to have people, so when you talk about, quote, unquote, affordable housing, I'll say that once, it's really subsidized housing. But the developers are not uh, subsidizing this housing. It's the taxpayers, it's the other neighbors <laughs> right. that are doing that. So I think That's that it's correct. important to understand that. Uh, so people yeah, most people are- don't, Kim. You're right. Um, these guys will build this property, and they will get back 10% of all of their development costs per year for more than nine years. So they will get back 90% of any monies they put into the property and charge market rates for the rent. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, help me on this one. So I'm trying to figure that out. If they're charging market rates... Mm-hmm. then people are still having to pay market rates. So that doesn't make any That really doesn't make any sense. I looked at a, a, a subsidized housing when I was on city council that was being built at I-25 and County Line, I think it was. And what was happening there is that I think with the deal, and they're all structured differently, but I think right. that the developer was receiving market rent rates, but the um, subsidized subsidized person was, uh, it was it was being backfilled via the taxpayer. So they're all structured differently. So help me understand this. So this project would be built. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's currently agricultural land. 
and Correct. it's all single family houses around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the developer would charge market rates, so they're receiving the cash flow off this project, right? Am I getting that mm-hmm. right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. They're charging market so they, rates. Mm-hmm. They get an investment group up front to put up the money, <clears throat> and then they get 10% tax rebates and credits every year towards any dollars they invest in the property. So they receive all of their cost back. They're basically at no risk. They build low-quality uh you know, property do just enough to barely squeak by code. This group is also known for going for exemptions. For instance, their property in Broomfield, uh, they've already requested a 25% less parking exemption. So, you know, they don't even build good quality. Uh, their other properties that they own are rundown, rated two out of five by the residents, uh, filthy, crime-laden, etc. Um, so <laughs> they do okay. just enough to squeak by, and then they get all those money that they've invested refunded to them. Plus, as you said, they've got the cash flow from the property. So basically, they're, they're not spending any of their own dollars to build, but they're getting all of the benefits of owning the property. And it, it, and it, I really think that this is also a property rights issue when when you have this yeah. zoning. So is this a zoning change or what, what was that exactly? Yes. Yes, it will okay. be a zoning change. There, there's only been one change to date. Well, now there have been two. The first was to put this piece of property into the separated urban area. It was excluded from it 50 years ago when it was very first zoned because it was long-term agricultural property. Um, that made sense. No big deal. Uh, but at the time, we did go before the commission even then, knowing that it probably would get put in the SUA because there's just a big circle and it was a cutout within the circle. Um, and, but the commissioners heard us, the planning commissioners heard us and told this group, do not come back to us with multifamily. <laughs> so this group went on a uh, kind of a campaign uh, to get chambers of commerce, to get the you know plumbing association, the HB association, et cetera, all from outside of the county um, to fully support what they're doing because they say their workers uh, need housing and this will this will solve their labor problem. Well, I happen to be an expert in this issue around the the current labor conditions, and this will not even come close to solving the labor challenges we have today, and that's a whole nother set of issues and challenges, et cetera, that go to our rights and entitlements and government interference in our businesses, et cetera. Um, And they were able to convince them uh, to, this group came back to the planning commissioners, presented three and four story, 500 residences, 220 units, three acres of asphalt. By the way, this sits in a riparian area on Cherry Creek. Um, And, uh, and the planning commissioner said, we basically, we told you not to come back with this. It doesn't fit the area. It doesn't meet these particular planning criteria. Boom, 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 boom. And, and the answer is absolutely no. And they pushed it again. It then goes to the next group, the elected three county commissioners, and they decided yes, with exactly the same arguments, having the same data. We've got over 500 pages of data. Uh, we've outlined all of the criteria, both in the county master plan and particularly in the SUA portion of the plan that it does not meet. And a lot of the, just so you, you know, your, the listeners understand, a lot of the criteria in these plans, these development plans, are very subjective. You know, your baby's pretty, no, your baby's ugly kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, and an argument can be made either side. 
But there are some objective criteria that are supposed to be met. Uh, scale, density of the surrounding area. You know, those kinds of things are not uh, subjective. Right. 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 Um, right and right. it has to address transportation concerns. It does not. We have a two lane uh-huh. road beside this property. We'll be adding 500 cars. Uh, four other neighborhoods of single family homes have all been approved to be down this same road uh, with no additional infrastructure okay. at all. Okay. So, you know, well, it just goes on yeah. and on. So what so you're going to appeal this and. Um, yes. So what what should people know? Can people help you? What what do you want people to know? Do what what do you suggest? Well, we desperately need funding. Uh, we're a group of concerned neighbors, and uh, as you can imagine, corralling all these cats is a is a challenge. Uh, this will cost the total process. Should we move forward after the initial filing, is approximately thirty thousand dollars. So any donations to that would be incredibly appreciated. People can uh, reach out to me and I can send the link. Uh, the, the funds are all handled and managed by an outside attorney and tracked closely. You know, no individuals have access to them. Uh, my email is holly, H-O-L-L-Y, at the human factor, T-H-E, human factor dot biz, B-I-Z. Um, please, please reach out. Let us know if you're interested in getting involved. Um, and, you know, contributions, of course, would be greatly appreciated. We're asking all of our neighbors for just $50 just to move forward on this, and we do have an attorney that we have engaged. Okay. Holly Green, this is a very important issue uh, regarding property rights, so thank you so much for giving us an update on that. Thank you very much. And uh, property rights, uh, home ownership are so important, and Karen Levine, a REMAX realtor, uh, is just uh, on the forefront on that at the local, county, state, and national level. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has nearly 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers regularly with GRRR, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Call Karen Levine to help you buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N, dot com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And my friends, it is so important that we have intellectual curiosity. And uh, my my friend, Dr. James Lines-Weiler, is creating an answer 
to our intellectual uh, curiosity, and that is at IPAC-EDU. And uh, right now, dash over to IPAC-EDU.org and take a look at the courses that they are offering for the spring semester. You can sign up now. And again, that is IPAC-EDU.org. On the line with me, I'm thrilled to welcome back Alvin Liu. He is the president of Courage is a Habit. And our last conversation, we were talking about this transgender agenda, which basically uh, what it is doing is um, mutilating our children, uh, either through pharmaceuticals or surgery or both. And he said that this is being pushed through the schools, uh, through the um, the counselor's offices. So Alvin Liu, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me back, Kim. Good morning. Well, it's good to have you. And this is just chilling. Uh, you had sent me a text after we had had you on the show recently and you said that what is happening is that parents are being gaslit. Uh, there's emotional blackmail and language contamination. That's a lot. Where do you want to start with that, Alvin? <laughs> that is a lot. See, we often say that, you know, children are brainwashed. You hear that a lot when we're talking about the education uh, indoctrination. But at Courage is a Habit, we really focus on that our parents that are brainwashed first. Because you see, Kim, you know, parents have been defending the children throughout time. So what makes this time so special that they cannot stand up for their children when they're going after them sexually? Like you said earlier, they're putting them on uh, the, the pronouns, the puberty blockers, then the, the, the binding and the surgeries. Why can't parents stand up? And that's because of language contamination and brainwashing of parents. And so, for example, if... Uh, a parent, a mom or a dad goes into the principal's office and says, hey, why are you showing, why are you keeping this secret from me? Why are you suggesting that my daughter's really a boy? Why are you having all this propaganda? Why are you having these clubs and these third-party uh, companies coming into the school influencing them? And then the principal goes, what's the matter? You don't like inclusion? And then the parents back off. And so there's these, there's these triggers that they're pulling on parents to keep them silent just long enough so that they can get to the children. And we call that language contamination. So they'll use words that you and I and hopefully everybody listening to your, your wonderful show will understand things like empathy. Well, you and I understand what that is, but they use our vocabulary but not our dictionary. So meaning that empathy to them doesn't mean the same thing. So when they say, we're just teaching empathy, the parents go, oh, okay, I teach them that at home too. What they mean is that empathy for them is, for example, they'll teach a girl uh, that uh, when a boy is in their private space, locker rooms, bathrooms, that they need to have empathy, that they need to suppress that natural trigger that females would have if a male is in their private spaces, things of that nature. So they don't use the same language. And that's, that's largely coming from the American School Counselor Association. Uh, we call it ASCA. Talked a little bit about that last time, but this, uh, we call it ASCA, A-S-C-A, and they have a chapter in all 50 states. They are the ones that control the, the uh, objectives and training for school counselors and social workers in K-12. And so when parents hear words like mental health, everybody, everybody wants mental health. But again, it's language contamination. They don't mean the same thing that you and I think of it. 
when they say manage emotions, they don't think the same way you and I do. They mean that you have to manage your emotions if you feel uncomfortable not uh, calling someone by the pronoun. If you feel uncomfortable, you have to get over that. So things like that is what really uh, blackmails parents um, to keep silent. You know, Kamala Harris had talked about school buses. Remember that? And I used mm-hmm. to, I used yes. to love, I, I would look at school buses and I would think, oh my gosh, here we are taking our, our children are going to uh, learn to read and write and do arithmetic and learn our history and civics. And I used to, you know, look at a school bus and say, gosh, that, I, I love that. I now mm-hmm. look at school buses and I'm terrified. I look at the children mm-hmm. that are on school buses and mm-hmm. I think, oh my gosh, they are going into, these indoctrination centers, they're going to be there for eight hours a day. And parents don't know what's going on now. And um, I'm very concerned about that, Alvin. Absolutely, because parents largely still believe school is the way that that, that is when they were going to school. Just like they believe that school counselors are just the old nice guidance counselors when they were going to school. And that's completely changed. And so I think a lot of parents are waking up, but there's still a lot of parents that are very unaware. Like I know in the, your Denver public school system, you know, we looked into the person running uh, your uh, school counselor, the manager, uh, Meredith uh, something, uh, Fatsies, I think. And right. most parents may not know how radical she is. She's all about the transgender ideology. She's all about critical race theory. Um, any of the really very, very less-leaning uh, policies. And in schools, it shouldn't be left or right. You should be presenting all sides so that children make open th- their own mind. And so I think one of the things I wanted to impart on your listeners is every time these schools tell you something, the, the thought I want your, your listeners to have is, that, oh, that's good. We teach them that at home too. What I want them to think instead is whose lens is this going through? Because the mistake that we make as good people, right, is that all the traits are good traits, like empathy and goal setting and personal responsibility and managing emotions. Traits are not good or bad. We assign positivity to certain traits because as a society, we're mostly good people. So I'll give you an example that's completely outside of this realm, goal setting. That's a, that's a term that they haven't yet contaminated, so there's no emotional attachment to it. So everybody knows goal setting is good. You set goals. This is why you're successful the way you are. Uh, people have long-term goals, short-term goals, things of that nature. But when we, when we look at a serial killer, okay, we don't say, oh, he sets goals and he meets them, but he does. I mean, it, sometimes he exceeds his goal, which is horrible, but that serial killer had a goal. He set out to beat the goal. Sometimes he exceeds his goal and he has grit. Sometimes he has to overcome certain things to meet his goal. But when we capture this person, we don't say, oh, look at all the, all the wonderful goal setting because we don't look at it through that lens. So if you take what I just said, when they say things like, I want you to have empathy, I want to have personal responsibility, uh, responsible decision-making, they don't mean it the same as you because they don't look at it through your lens. So for the, let's say for the responsible decision-making, what they mean is that it's a brainwashing program, or if you're a white child, when you get to be voting age, your responsible decision-making is voting for reparations or giving up certain things because of white privilege and, and, and white supremacy and all those different things that they drill into children. 
things like inclusion. Well, inclusion to us means things like we want to accept people. We want people to feel not not isolated, not uh, not rejected. Right? Those are good things. What they mean right. is that you have to include a drag queen story hour. You have to include a man that thinks he's a woman. You have to include that. If you're not, then you're the bad guy. Now, it's hard enough for adults. This is why I said earlier, our job really is to try to de-brainwash parents because I think that if we de-brainwash parents, they'll know how to stand up for their children. But if you imagine how difficult, how impossible that would be for a second grader or a fifth grader to reject those notions because we teach them to respect their teachers. We teach them to respect the people in school. So not only are they taking advantage of our trust, they're taking advantage of the very things that we tell our kids. So now when they're there for eight hours a day, like you just said, now they believe everything that's in, in the classroom. And, and, you know, we try to give parents tools so that they know how to fight against it, how to, how to say, how to talk back against it. Um, one of the emotional blackmails they'll tell parents uh, when it comes to the transgender cult is, it's better to have a dead child than a live, uh, a dead, uh, or a live child than a dead daughter, right? Or a, li- a live child. Right, I know. Daughter. I know. And you think about that. We do not parent that way in any other thing, right? And so one of the things we teach them to fight back is they go, if, some, if they're anorexic, would you say the same thing? If they're anorexic, would you say it's better to have a, if, they're, if they think they're, anore- if they're anorexic, if they, they go, they need life possession, would you, would you go do that? So we try to teach them these things to come back for us because we don't parent that way. You know, my 13-year-old can't say, I'm going to kill myself if you don't let me run away with a 40-year-old. We don't parent that way at all. So this is obviously not science. It's emotional blackmail. Another thing they'll say is, well, well why is there such an explosion? This is a social contagion. They'll tell you, oh, it's, a, it's a, you know, more, more kids are coming out now because it's more accepted. So what we teach parents is to go, okay, if it's more accepted, how come we don't see middle-aged women identifying as trans and getting surgery. Why is it all teenagers and young people? Ooh, that's an excellent point. That is an excellent point. See, those things, parents know, they can think through these things, but they can't because they're under this brainwashing themselves. They're in that emotional blackmail. Once you're in that emotional blackmail, when you're in that little square box, you can't think. You just, you just go, I don't want to be called bigot. I don't want to be called transphobe. So you have to get over the labeling because the labels mean nothing. These people are child abusers. Why would you care about what they say? So once you get out of that emotional blackmail, then you can think all the things that we say. There's nothing magical about in terms of what we're doing. It's just that we're, we just spend a lot of time breaking down their emotional blackmail and their dishonesty. And then we give parents uh, easy to consume tools so that they know how to stand up for their for the children. Oh, Alvin, it just takes my breath away. I'm just so concerned for our children on this. And and this is happening at almost all the schools in America. Yes, no? Yes, it's actually not a red or blue, blue state thing. I think I see that mistake a lot, too. A lot of parents think that just move to a red state. I moved to a red state. Uh, from a blue state, California to Indiana. So I speak from experience uh, of that myth. Um, or, or you know, they go, it's a Republican-Democrat thing. And, and I'll tell you, there's a lot of states that you think, well, it, because it's in the, in the school system, it doesn't matter. Because it comes through a program called social-emotional learning. And a lot of legislators, I would say most legislators, Republican or Democrat, have no idea what it is. 
And so what happens is these, these mental health programs, this mental health program called social emotional learning, um, it's a, it's a Trojan horse and that under that mental health is what smuggles in mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. critical race theory and the transgender ideology. And mm-hmm. that's what fools mm-hmm. a lot of parents. Right. And uh, in fact, we were looking at one of the uh, pieces of legislation proposed here in Colorado, and it's more money for counselors, more money for mental health. So that's more money for that. Uh, Alvin, this is so important that we're talking about this. And uh, it's important to talk about this. It's also very important to talk about our medical freedom and a a great place Uh, of people that are really doing a good job on that is Roots Medical, and they are a great sponsor of the show. They are very involved with Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom, uh, which is uh, all these things are connected. And so be sure and check out rootsmedical.net. Every family needs a healthcare team that has your child's best interest as the priority, and Roots Medical is proud to offer exactly that. At Roots Medical, we strive to empower and educate both parent and child about the importance of gut health, how to implement healthy changes in the home, and of course, all of the benefits that come with a fully optimized immune system. Same day and sickness appointments are available and easy to schedule. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R-O-O-T-S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your healthcare concerns. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Finding a firearm or training course can be intimidating for anyone, especially when you're new at it. Franktown has everything you need to get started or to improve with a firearm. Franktown is a family-friendly gun store and are invested in the success of their customers, no matter what your age, gender, or experience level is. Franktown sells firearms and ammo at or below MSRP, has an indoor range on site, and offers tactical and safety training. Franktown Firearms is always a safe and easygoing environment for all customers. Come to Franktown for a comfortable, no-pressure experience when shopping or learning about your firearm with approachable experts dedicated to your development as the owner of a firearm. Franktown Firearms has everything you need to get started and or to improve on any background experience. Visit klzradio.com slash franktown to schedule your firearms training today or find more information at franktownfirearms.com. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, I have on the line with me Alvin Liu. He is the president of Courage is a Habit. Alvin, this takes my breath away. What can parents do? Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm just thinking of you know that concerned mom and dad. They're sending their kids to school. They don't realize that these things are being talked about with their little first grader, second grader. What can parents do? 
Well, there's a few things. Some of it is psychological, like we talked about, in terms of getting over the fear of labels. Um, that's the psychological and emotional. Uh, but there's some technical things. Um, there's two things that I would really encourage parents, and this is any parent can do this. It doesn't mean you have to go and run for office. If you do, great. Obviously, be as involved and vocal as you can. But this is something that every parent can do. The first thing is get your children out of the data mining. 99% of parents have no idea that children are being given surveys in class. Uh, some of it are social emotional learning surveys. Those are the, pri the from private companies spend a lot of tax dollars on it. Um, so you can opt, you can use our form on courage as a habit to, to opt out. You have to force this opt out because they won't give it to you because these social emotional learning surveys. So if you go to courageisahabit.org and uh, click on SEL surveys, uh, we have a few items in there that explains what it is, which is probably a little more time than I have this morning, but these tools explain how they use that data, okay? And at the end of those tools, there's an opt-out form. The second type of data is something that every parent can easily opt out on, and it's going on right now across the country, and it's called the health surveys. Now, they may call it uh, youth surveys, health surveys, drug surveys, some combination of it, integrated surveys, but they're given by the state, unlike the social-emotional learning surveys where it's a third party. It's happening uh, right now between January 3rd and June 30th. They may be breaking up into two separate uh, sections depending on the school district or the state, but email your uh, principal and ask them when this survey is, when this youth survey is, okay? And they have to tell you and they have to give you a way to opt out. They may try to talk you out of it, but don't, you don't, don't give a reason why. Just say, I want to opt out, period. That's it. You don't have to give a reason. Mm -hmm. um, again, if you go to couragesahabit.org, if you click on, uh, there's a button that it says 2023 health surveys. We walk you through the whole thing, okay, uh, on, on how to ask, how to send an email, all that stuff. So real quickly, the data is used to justify more of the very thing that you and I have been talking about transgender ideology, critical race theory, any of the sexualization, uh, they use the data, they manipulate the answers so that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. So when you as a parent go in and you say, uh, hey, why are you doing this? They will often tell parents things like it's data-driven, it's evidence-based, research shows. Earlier, you mentioned uh, about in, there's passing some legislations for more money for these counselors. I will promise you, if you read through the reasoning, it will say those things. Research shows evidence-based data shows. And so what they're doing is they're serving your children, manipulating the data, and then coming back and saying the school, uh, mental health, the mental health of kids, they're feeling oppressed, they're feeling bullied, uh, evidence-based shows that they are. Uh, it doesn't matter how they answer. Remember earlier, we talked about language contamination. They don't mean it the same thing you do. So if you get your kids out of the data, that throws a big wrench in their ability to say, we have all this evidence because you're taking your children out. Plus, no government entity should be data mining your minor children, especially without you being in the room. That's the first thing. The second thing is if you go to couragesahabit.org um, and click under school counselors, um, get your children out of any kind of formal and informal meeting with these school counselors or mental health professionals. Uh, there's an opt-out form there. Uh, some schools may tell you to go pound sand. At that point, you know you've got a real problem because you, as a parent, should be able to say, I don't want my child meeting with these mental health professionals. And Ken, let's face it, 
every parent, every good parent anyway, knows that when you're sending children to anything, it could be something as simple as a dance class to a, something as, a, you know, medical, like a, a, dent, a dentist or an eye doctor. We vet those people. Parents are not vetting anybody. There are these mental health professionals. Many of them are coming out of uh, these, you know, ASCAs or these really, really woke colleges. You have no idea. These, these, these people are completely trained to brainwash your children. So parents do not vet these folks. These folks are just hired by schools. So, so parents need to draw a line in the sand and say, my child is not to meet with any mental health professionals without me being in the room. And then parents, those are the things that, those two things I would highly recommend to parents to make a big difference. Well, and uh, many times, uh, actually we had an experience here in northern Colorado with, it was an after-school program, but it started off with, don't tell your parents. And, uh, um, you know, parent-kid relationships are difficult. Uh, Mm -hmm. And... It's almost like these, um, this agenda is preying upon, uh, preying upon, you know, when, when there's, I mean, kids sometimes will say, Hey, I want to run away. I don't do that. You're, you, you know, I mean, and so they can insert themselves into that, which is very dangerous. Uh, it's just part of, it's just part of growing up sometimes parents and kids not getting along. So talk to me just a little bit about that, Alvin. Absolutely. Because, see, they're taking advantage of a very natural order of things, especially when they get into that, that preteen teenagers. It's natural for, parent, or for children to want to have some autonomy from parents. But it's the parents know their children, so they decide how much autonomy to give. In the past, you've got your community, your coaches, your teachers, your wonderful teachers, principals, school, school guidance counselors, and they help with that. They try to, they try to create that bond if there's some fracture right? Like your neighbors, your friends, extended family. But today, the school counselors and the schools are taking advantage of that natural feel for autonomy, and they're driving the children further away. And they start that now, not, not even waiting for the teenage day, because they know that's coming. They do that in the very young ages. They do that in the very young ages, starting at the elementary school and the middle school. And so they do things uh, like redefining the two terms. So there's two terms that they really focus on these days to do exactly what you just said. And those two terms are safe and abuse. What they mean is that if you, if your parents don't succumb to you wanting to be called a different name or a different pronoun, then maybe your parents are unsafe. And they start that very early on, that this is something is your decision. You decide what kind of, you know, at the elementary school level, they introduce that concept. Because they know elementary, all elementary kids love their parents, right? They stick there, much to a lot of parents' chagrin, I'm sure, that they never leave this parent's side. But once they get to the middle school, that's when they start driving that, well, maybe, maybe we should be your family. And you see that. You start seeing that in the, in the schools, we're your family. You see a lot of extreme uh, you know, school counselors and teachers going, I'm your family now. And that is, that is such a pedophile 101 thing to do, to say. Right? Mm-hmm. Your parents don't understand mm-hmm. you, but I do. And so by redefining safe and abuse, they're, they're now setting the foundation in schools to say, The parents, your home is unsafe. We're the safe space. Your parents are abusive. And now with all these uh, mental health programs um, being expanded in every school, in every state, uh, they're going to start separating the kids from their parents because the social workers that they're bringing into the schools, that they they have, they are in the schools, are working with outside agencies. 
that are very, very pro-transgender cults. And they are going to start getting in there and deeming the parents to be unsafe. So now oh, you don't want to call your daughter by a different pronoun. They treat you the same as if you're like physically abusing them. Wow. And, and so if you change, if you change words, you don't have to change the laws. Oh, my gosh. Alvin, we are out of time. You've got about 20 seconds. What, what can, where, where do you want to send people? What's the courage is a habit is probably the place to go. Yes. Yes. Courage is a habit.org. Those are tools made for you, made for you, the average parent that don't have 40 hours a week to read all this stuff. So we do it. Um, and then but you also hit our social medias from there. And also we are a nonprofit with a very, very small team. And any support you give us uh, goes right back into the fight to create tools for you to stay on offense. Awesome. Alvin Liu, we will have you back again very soon. Thank you so much. And that's Alvin Liu with President. He is the president of Courage is a Habit. And a very appropriate uh, Edmund Burke quote for the end of the show. Nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could do only a little. So, my friends, today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. Stay tuned for our number two. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to our number two of the Kim Munson Show. Happy Monday to all of you. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured and valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, we were made for this moment. Thank you to the team I work with. That's producer Steve, producer Luke, Zach, Patty, Keith, Echo, Charlie, all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. And producer Luke, you're behind the boards. It's great to have you. Oh, it's great to be here, Kim. Thank you. And, uh, yes, a lot going on today. Very important conversation with Alvin Liu, president of Courage is a Habit in our number one. And, of course, we want to hear from you this last segment of this show, 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. And we are going to go to, to work to get a text line for you as well, because I know some of you are shy and don't like to call in, uh, but I do want to hear from you. So we will let you know about that um, as well very soon. Um wanted to go to our quote for today because it's a very famous one. But it's um, Edmund Burke, and he said this. He said that the, uh, and Edmund Burke was an Anglo-Irish statesman. He was an economist and philosopher. He was born in Dublin. He served as a member of parliament between 1766 and 1794. Uh, and um, he was born in 1729. He died in 1797. And he said this, he said, and this is so appropriate for, I guess, any time, because he was in the 1700s, but right now in 2023 America, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And I guess it's timeless if we really take a look at that producer, Luke. 
I definitely agree. I feel like a lot of people feel comfortable in not being the problem. But if you have the capacity to make change and don't do it, it's just as bad. It really is. And uh, we are in a time there is really so much evil around us. And uh, again, when we're talking with Alvin Liu about what has been happening in our schools and parents, the parents have no idea that that is occurring. And uh, so it's important to, to shed light on this. And then once we shed light and truth on this, that's where we can go to work to stand against evil and to solve these problems. Producer Luke. Yeah, that's I mean, we need more people to stand up. Uh, we're not getting a whole lot of that right now. And it's uh, it's making itself pretty evident. It is. It is. So uh, I zoomed through and did not do the bill of the day in the first hour. So I'm going to do that right now. This is House Bill 23-1101, the Ozone Season Transit Grant Program Flexibility. And uh, basically, it's a bill that increases the flexibility of the Ozone Season Transit Grant Program. First of all, we should not have an ozone treatment grant program because... um having uh, bureaucracies um, dole out our money via grants, uh, grant process, this is, again, unaccountable, unelected bureaucrats that are doing that through, instead of legislative appropriations, it's through grants. But uh, anyway, it goes through this whole grant money, but ultimately... With the, uh, the this ozone narrative, it is another way that they are using a narrative that is and will be an assault upon our uh, freedom of mobility in in our cars. This is again an ozone. Uh, let's see what was it a mobility program? Hold on, let me get to it again. Uh, and but basically, let me, basically what it is is once again is is an assault upon our our. Uh, freedom of mobility in our cars. Those that are pushing forward these, uh, this agenda is uh, again trying to get people into transit out of their cars and riding bikes and walking around. And so it is a direct assault upon freedom of mobility. And again, that's House Bill 23-1101. And it is so important that we understand these issues and that we are able to do this because I have some very great sponsors. And I'm blessed to have really great sponsors. And one of those sponsors is the Roger Mangan State Farm Insurance Team. Roger Mangan, I have so many questions for you. Uh, but uh, Colorado has the, uh, the the distinct reputation right now of being either number one or number two in the country for car thefts. And uh, you mentioned when we uh, were in our pre-call uh, on this that that there's been 74,000 vehicles stolen in Colorado in 20, uh, 2021 and 2022. First of all, Roger, that really affects people's lives, their freedom of mobility. Um, that is for sure. The um, Why this is happening is obvious. The police and the sheriff's departments, the state patrol, are overwhelmed with other issues, so they can't really dedicate the resources they need to prevent this kind of thing. But when a car is stolen, so if you have a $20,000 car, for example, and it's stolen and not recovered, the insurance company has an obligation to replace that car under your comprehensive coverage. Normally, you're going to have a deductible between 250 500 maybe a thousand so if your car in fact is worth twenty thousand 
and you have a thousand deductible, the insurance company owes you nineteen thousand. And by the way, that's negotiable. It's not clear cut because some cars have high mileage, they've been abused. So I might have a two thousand eighteen that is in primo condition that I think is worth twenty. You may have one that is really beat up and it may be worth twelve. So there's a big spread between those types of cars and the condition of those cars. Now, um, with these cars being stolen, what what is happening with them? Well, a couple of things. About 60% of them are actually recovered uh, based on the Rocky Mountain Institute of Insurance that provides this kind of information. And uh, those that are recovered, however, were probably used in some kind of robbery, some gang activity, drugs. So if your car is stolen and you have any suspicion about drug use, you should have that car tested to make sure the methamphetamine reading isn't in excess of the acceptable 5.0 reading. I had a theft recently, a $24,000 car, Hyundai, and it was recovered within about three, four days. And the person who owned it wanted it tested, so they tested it. So the reading was really over the top. So this this person obviously was not going to want to ha- take the car back, correct? Yeah, that's correct. The, the car was actually totaled by State Farm. And um, we would take it as salvage and, and sell, sell it to a salvage yard who would then part it out uh, or repair it to the extent that, that it was within acceptable limits. Uh, gosh, do people have risk if they're buying a used car uh, or oh, for, something like this? Yeah, for sure. You, buying a used car, you'd always want to have a mechanic check everything out. And as far as checking it out for um, drug residue, I don't know if that is going to happen today on a grand scale in this economy we're in. Well, but uh, I guess I'm thinking as an entrepreneur, uh, making lemon out of lemonade, somebody could actually start a business here in Colorado to, <laughs> to test that. So, Well, they could, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing we talked about one other time was diminished value. So let's say your car is in an accident and you are hit by a third party. So when I say third party, the insurance company is the first party, the insured to that insurance company is the second party. So a third party would be uh, a tortfeasor is the terminology we use, the one who caused the loss of use of that property. So you get hit by me and your car is damaged. My obligation is to repair your car. Your obligation is to make sure that repair is done, that your value isn't diminished. So most insurance companies, it's a state law in Colorado now, diminished value is at play. And that value might be reduced by 10%, 20%, 30%. So if you just accept your car as it is after it's repaired and you go to sell it a year later or whatever, you may have a $5,000 ding or reduction in the value of that car because of that accident. So what you need to do is file a claim against the party that caused the damage, the insurance company that caused the damage, to get your diminished value returned. And you have a two-year window to do that in Colorado. If you wait too long, 
it's too late. Oh, that is absolutely fascinating. Roger, I learned so much from you when you're in studio, Roger Mangan with State Farm Insurance. Thank you, Kim. My pleasure. This is called service. You hooked me up with auto and renters. Props to my insurance mentor. You made it easy to cover my bed in a box and my extensive collection of cuckoo clocks. You know, I find it kind of funny that you also save me money. You've got that good neighbor charm. Give it up for State Farm. There are always opportunities in changing markets, and the metro real estate market is no exception. That's why you need to work with seasoned REMAX Alliance realtor Karen Levine when you buy your home, sell your home, consider opportunities of a new build, or explore investment properties. Rising interest rates are spurring creativity, innovation, and opportunity in the real estate and mortgage markets. Kim Monson highly recommends award-winning REMAX realtor Karen Levine. Call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516 for answers to all your real estate questions. That's 303-877-7516. What do Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, and Nikola Tesla have in common? None of these men graduated from college, but each of them had enormous intellectual curiosity. Scientist Dr. James Lyons Weiler is creating a new kind of educational model for the busy, intellectually curious, IPAC-EDU. Classes are affordable and interactive, and experts in each of their fields, with courses in biology, philosophy, analytics, health and wellness, political science, chemistry, regenerative science, and psychology. There is a spring 2023 course for you. Dash over to IPACEDU.org, IPAC-EDU.org for more information and to register. That's IPAC-EDU.org. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And I thank all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. And we search for truth and clarity as we look at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, but we are going to talk about force in this particular uh, segment. And I have on the line with me uh, Everett Johnson. And he is the, uh, let me get the exact title here. He is the state president of the Alabama State Fraternal Order of Police. He's been in law enforcement for over 27 years. And he had a piece in um, that he'd written regarding the Alabama legislature sh- uh, should pass new police use of force standards. Everett, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh this is an important issue here in America now. Um, we've seen over the last few years that there's been uh, those that have really gone after our police departments. Uh, use of force is a big question on that. So kind of walk us through this, Everett. So um, we're currently dealing with two officers that are in prison here in Alabama for uh, having to use lethal force to 
to defend themselves um, against aggression and defend the other officers, one of those being uh, Ben Darby from the Huntsville Police Department. And and the, the issue lies in that these officers have been trained to do a job. They've been trained uh, in specialized training to handle situations that they were encountering. And when they uh, fell back on their training and fell back on what they their procedures and policies are, uh, they were still prosecuted and, and extra in prison right now uh, serving sentences uh, unjustly, in my opinion, for for just doing their job. So, well, one of the things, and I can't remember if it was in your piece, but I think it was that as as members of uh, family members of police officers, one of the sounds that is so comforting at the end of the day is hearing the sound of Velcro of your loved one coming home, which means, you know, taking off their their vests and all that are Velcroed on it. And I thought, you know, that is that's a rather remarkable um, thing to think about is is. You know, a family member sends their police officer out to do their job, and they never know what's going to happen each day, Everett. That's a correct, uh, and, and that's that's a very good sentiment there, because these officers, every every day, every night, they, they put on a badge, they put on a gun, uh, they put on their bullet-resistant vest to go out and to deal with, with the criminal element, to keep our community safe, to keep our families safe. And the most important thing that I stress to these officers when they go to the street is to come home the next day uh, or to come on to the end of their shift. That that is the most important thing they can do um, because they do have families to come home to. They do have a life outside of this outside of this profession. And um, unfortunately, with some of the the movements of some particular sections of our society and our media, uh, they have vilified these law enforcement officers to the point that uh people are now emboldened to resist arrest and to actively and aggressively attack officers uh by ambush style attacks and or or what have you just uh, just because they're wearing a badge how did we get to this point everett it's it's unbelievable to me um i think that this probably has been oncoming for the last uh 10 or 15 years that um, we've had members of our government, uh, our, you know, our our people that are sworn to protect us have gone out. They have painted law enforcement in a negative light. They have, uh, you know, uh, there, there's societal issues uh, that our country is facing, whether it be uh, crime, poverty, um, you know, you have it. And law enforcement uh, is the ones that are, according to these people, are supposed to solve these problems um and yet they're not you know that's not the function of law enforcement is to solve societal issues their 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 function is to deter crime to detect crime and to put bad guys in jail uh so law enforcement being the face of government for most people and usually that that face is never a good thing when when you see the police in your rearview mirror pulling you over or they come to your house that's never a good day for you so that negativity is is now put on to law enforcement, and um, and there's and, and and our profession is suffering from that because we have, like I said, members of government that that are vilifying us, and then you know that 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 message is being sent out to our communities, uh, and and they're following up on that. Everett, I one have wondered where did we ever move away from calling our police officers peace officers uh keeping the peace to 
law enforcement because, um, well, I, you know, I'm thinking like a second amendment here in Colorado. The second amendment is uh, there's legislation that, uh, you know, may outlaw certain firearms and that's clearly unconstitutional. And, uh, I don't, th- <laughs> and I think that taking firearms from everyday law abiding citizens and, and that they would use to protect themselves uh, is a bad law. And so I, I've always kind of wondered, where did we move from calling our um, law enforcement peace officers to law enforcement? What's your thoughts on that, Everett Johnson? That, that's an incredible question, uh, Kim, that I, I wish I had an answer for. I can speculate the fact of, you know, the role for, Peace officers, you can look back in the 1800s into the early 1900s, was to keep the peace. Um, they were, you know, you look at your 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 city, your town marshals, and and uh, you know the Wild West, so to speak, and then they were considered peace officers because that's what they did. They kept the peace and keep your community safe. And I guess a role where it rolled into law enforcement may have been more uh, in the line of when. Investigations started occurring, um, you know, and I look at our FBI making maybe the 30s and 40s that that law enforcement sort of cha- transitioned from just a peacekeeping entity into more of a criminal um, investigative role of, of um, enforcing certain laws uh, in investigative mindset. I'm speculating on that, but that is an incredible question that I'm that I'm definitely be doing some research on. Okay, well, great. I'm glad that I, I asked a, g- a good question on that because um, if we have overreaching laws and we put our police officers in the position where they have to uh, try to enforce overreaching laws, I think that's an untenable position for our our peace officers. And uh, I think that that you know, I, I think that maybe when you mention societal problems, I think that or challenges, I think maybe that might play into it, Everett. Um, perhaps so. Um, you know, you, you definitely, uh, you know, I, I, I think that your legislation, if, if they are looking at creating laws that are going to have to be enforced by uh, law enforcement officers, you know, they need to go to the law enforcement community and find out if this is sustainable. And if this law, you know, obviously it needs to, to meet the criteria of, of whether it violates uh, constitutional rights or not. But to, you know, get the feedback from the law enforcement community on whether this, this law is, is good for public safety as a whole and, uh, and whether law enforcement is, has the ability to promote that. You know, and, and the key going back to the situation we're dealing with here in Alabama is, um, you know, we are wanting some type of standardized uh, process for investigating use of force cases. And we're wanting to um, make sure that all law enforcement are treated equally when it comes to uh, having to use force and that um, and that those cases, you know, that each prosecutor is not looking at that case in a different light compared to some other prosecutor. And now you have officers in jail for for doing that. And, uh, you know, I think that could play a role in what you're discussing there is that, you know, there's got to be consistency in standards when it comes to um, when it comes to creating the laws and to applying those laws effectively. Well, and, and from what I can see in the piece that you've written, 
that was published within the last week or so is that is really uh, one of the things that you're requesting. And tell us this. I was reading about this uh, Officer Ben Darby, his his case where they found him guilty or the trial where they found him guilty um, was of great concern the way that that was handled. And it was during, I guess, during the pandemic, correct? That's correct. It, it, it was it, it, horrendous what they what they put this officer through. Um, he was cleared by his agency um, for an internal investigation for use of force. He never violated policy. He never violated the law according to the investigation, but yet the prosecutor chose to prosecute him. They offered him a plea deal, which he turned down because he was not guilty, and there's no sense in pleading to a crime you didn't commit. But then they get into court. And it's during the time of COVID, so there was restrictions on uh, having a, a audience in the courtroom. They had an anti-room or another room set aside for audiences and members outside of the outside of the court proceedings itself, where family could go, media could go, and, and spectators of the trial. The judge would inadvertently kill the video. They had a video feed coming from the courtroom into that room, and the judge would earn a uh, inadvertently kill the video feed so members outside of the courtroom weren't seeing what's going on so did ben darby have a public trial well according to our opinion no he did not and that is part of the appeal of of being involved in that also ben darby was a police officer at the time of the incident that he had to uh, use force and he he was acting in the scope of a police officer and, and, and in his training as a police officer, but yet the judge would not allow the jury to uh, see that in the in the line of what the police officer sees and how they react to incidents. Uh, the judge charged the jury to see that in the line of a civilian. Well, no civilian that I know of is going to go into a house with a suicidal barricaded subject that's armed that has the potential of, of killing my, themselves or or killing that civilian and engaging that person because that's what that officer is trained to do. That's what we, we pay them to do is to go in there and deal with, with threats and hazards to our community. No civilian handles that. So how can a civilian, how can you look at that situation from the eyes of a civilian when it was a law enforcement action uh, taken by a law enforcement officer? Oh, my gosh. Everett Johnson, that is really an excellent point. Uh, and I want to continue the conversation, but I really want all of you listeners to listen to uh, this great information regarding Three Points Financial. Three Points Financial, a comprehensive fee-only financial and tax-focused company, considers all the pieces of a client's financial life. There are no sales or commissions involved, and all advice is fiduciary, putting the client first. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz, co-owners of Three Points Financial, Take time to work with you regarding decisions that affect your financial present and future. Whatever is happening in our world and with our economy, you have financial goals that matter. And Three Points Financial offers personal, real-time plans for savings, retirement, investments, and taxes, both tax efficiency and preparation. There is no better time than now to focus on your financial situation. If you are interested in learning more, contact 3pointsfinancial.com to schedule a no-obligation introductory call. No matter how you define it, inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. 
All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on and who is responsible. That is why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. She has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim could use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at KimMunson.com. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, very pleased to have on the line with me Everett Johnson. He is the state president of the Alabama State Fraternal Order of, Poli- of Police, uh, 27 years in law enforcement. And we've been talking about Officer Darby, who uh, is in prison currently. Uh, and as you, I've looked at the details in the piece that you had published, it, it the trial seemed very suspect to me, uh, Everett Johnson. Uh, yeah, very suspect. Um, you know, completely just disregarded the fact of his role as a law enforcement officer. Um, you know, like I said earlier, they tried to allow him the opportunity to plead to a lesser charge and you know, if if he was guilty of what they accused him to be guilty of, then why would you offer him a plea deal? Um, Good point. You know, and and even the whole purpose of or the whole the whole way the trial was handled by the judge, um, it, it was it just felt like it was it was intended to 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 put away uh, an innocent person, and they did whatever means necessary to do that. And and Ben Darby is in prison right now for doing his job, and. Um, that, that's tragic. That's tragic to the law enforcement community. It sets a standard um, in the law enforcement community that, um, that you know, you're always looking over your shoulder to make sure that, that you're not being put in prison for doing your job. And, and we're, we're facing those challenges here in Alabama right now. Well, and in his situation, uh, this was a, a very tense situation, correct? The, um, they were called to – why don't you give us the details of what happened exactly? Everett. So uh, officers from the Huntsville Police Department responded to a suicidal subject call um, at a residence. Uh, the, the initial unit arrived on scene. Uh, there was a subject there at the house that had a uh, firearm in his possession and was uh, holding it on himself. The officers initially uh, responded, did not take any type of action to protect themselves. They they were not in a, a, a safe position. They just sort of were standing there in the same room with the guy and made themselves a victim of of uh, this situation along with the suicidal subject. Officer Darby arrived as a backup, uh, came into the house, and and observed that the, the, the scene was pretty much in chaos. He ordered this uh, gentleman seven times to, to drop his weapon and to surrender himself, 
and the uh, the, the the man uh, used some type of overt action that Officer Darby felt was a threat to himself and his officers, and he ended up using lethal force uh, and, and shot and killed this subject. Officer Darby had had extensive specialized training in how to deal with these uh, with these type of calls, and um, all that was never allowed to be released in court, to my understanding. So, you know, Officer Darby that day, while unfortunately had retained the life of the suicidal subject, um, saved the lives of his of his fellow officers, and um, and yet he was prosecuted for that. So what? So he's been in prison now for how long? Uh, I believe about two years. And how long is he supposed to serve a sentence? Twenty-five years. Um, the uh, with the help of Pipe Fitters Foundation, um, an appeal has been submitted to our Court of Criminal Appeals here in the state of Alabama uh, with with the issues of there being a public trial and uh, Officer Darby not being allowed to be recognized as a law enforcement officer in trial. And we're waiting to hear back from uh, the court as regards to that appeal. So we're hoping to get a good outcome from the appeal um, and either schedule a retrial or just the charges dropped entirely and Officer Darby being allowed to come back to his family. My gosh, it's changed his life. It's changed his family's life. And uh, it sounds like he went into a very tense situation from what I'm understanding and uh, did save the life of the other officers that were there. This whole use of force question is front and center again, Everett Johnson, with um, uh, in Memphis and the death of, of Tyre Nichols um, regarding police officers. It's, it's interesting to me that uh, uh, there's been pundits out there that have called it um, – White, suprem- white supremacy, you know, variety of things, when actually all five police officers were black. And so it's having these narratives um, out there is disingenuous. But there, there are bad actors in any profession. And so this use of force is, is a big question. What, what's your thoughts on that, Everett? Well, the situation is Memphis is, is terrible and tragic. Those, uh, and I'm not even going to call them officers because how they performed and, 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 and handled that situation is not in the lines of, of their training, of, of the standards of, of force, and, and completely out of the realm of what uh, good law enforcement officers out here on the street do every day. And they've tarnished the badge, they've tarnished the profession, and um, justice should be served to them. Um, when it comes to the narrative of, of whether it's, you know, there was any racism involved in that or not, you know, these, these men and women, there, there's over 800,000 law enforcement officers every day that go out here and they serve their communities with dignity, with honor and professionalism. They do not go out here looking for somebody to shoot or regardless of, of what their ideology is, what their race is, what anything uh, of these particulars are. They just go out here to do a job to protect their communities. They are called to do it. It's a higher calling today than it was when I started the profession because when I started, there was a sense of people supporting law enforcement. And these men and women today go out there knowing that there's a movement against the law enforcement. And I commend them for it. I commend these men and women that go into the police academies, do their time to get on the street, knowing that there's a segment in our community that that wants to destroy them and, and to kill them. And, um, you know, the situation in Memphis is, is awful. 
and that does not represent law enforcement, and we condemn it and um, and 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 ask for prayers for the families of all those involved, but particularly the Nichols family and the situation they were involved in. That, that's just it's just horrendous. Well, it is horrendous um, that 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 has occurred, and. Uh, when you think about the number of encounters between our police peace officers and civilians throughout the country every day, this is such a, uh, a, a, a um, I mean, it just the percentage of, of these bad situations is extremely low. Again, it's very, very tragic, but there's there's such a small percentage of bad actors, but yet they're getting so so much press for this because it, it certainly is tragic, Everett. Um, yeah, and that's 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 always you know for the for the hundreds of thousands of calls a day, if not millions of calls a day for police services um, throughout our country, and all the good that law enforcement does, it takes you know these bad actors get the get the light and they get the the scope and they and, and then we all in the profession get labeled as what these people are and and that is not the case at all um you know they, they don't ever you know our our society our media does not look at all the good law enforcement has done, and we really try to push that out from my organization. Of look at the good that law enforcement does. Look at the role they play to protect our communities, protect our societies, and to serve um, to serve everybody. Uh, but then you take a situation like Memphis, and that that completely just undermines what we're trying to push here. I'm trying to push the innocence of a law enforcement officer in Huntsville that was wrongfully accused of uh, murder. And, and it's hard for me to have that narrative when I have a Memphis situation where those guys were completely wrong and they have completely uh, overtaken the conversation of, of the innocence of law enforcement. And that's, that's very frustrating to me that these, these five individuals in Memphis has, has put uh, officers' lives in jeopardy now because of people wanting to act out and take vengeance against, uh, against law enforcement on behalf of the Nichols uh, situation. And these officers have tarnished the badge, and and they're despicable. They, they you know, the, like I said earlier, justice should be served on them. Okay, so let's move back over then to Officer Darby. Uh, this uh, officer has been in prison for several years now. Uh, certainly, I mean, gosh, I was thinking about how that would affect his family. He um, probably affects has been affecting them economically as well. Correct. I, I would imagine so. Yes, um, Officer Darby comes from a long line of law enforcement. Uh, his father was a law enforcement officer, retired. Uh, his his uh, spouse is a law enforcement officer, and um, you know, but but economically, yeah, there's you know that's a that's a a lack of uh, of a paycheck coming in that that his family has to make up for, as well as the economic impact of them trying to uh, file appeals in court and have attorney's fees and legal fees and things associated with, with trying to get him released from prison. So uh, out here in Colorado, I, I find this a really interesting uh, subject, but why would you say that this is relevant, what is happening in Alabama to other states? Well, I think that you you look at that there, there needs, you know, the, the events that occurred here um, with there not being a standard of investigation for use of force. Uh, why it's relevant um, in other states is there's no consistency with prosecution. 
so to speak. Um, but and, and I say, you know, I have to go back to what I know here in Alabama is one prosecutor can look at this situation, and while it's tragic for what occurred uh, that Ben Darby was involved in, you know, he he never violated the law, he never violated his policies and his procedures and his training. But then you move across county lines to another prosecutor who may have some animosity towards law enforcement, and they're going to prosecute this this uh, officer for the same thing. So we're putting these these men and women in training and police academies and specialized training and to handle those incidents. But then you're coming back and telling me, well, you know, because we don't necessarily care about the law enforcement, we're going to prosecute this guy regardless of what his training is, regardless of what the policies and procedures are. And either um, Ben Darby was right in the actions he took or everybody is wrong in the training that we have received uh, to handle those situations. Uh, interesting. And we're just just about out of time on, on this component of it. But Everett, what are you seeing regarding uh, recruitment of uh, our police officers? Because we've seen, you know, over the last three years, it's been pretty tough with that narrative out there. But yet uh, having our community safe, um, um, you know, keep, you know, putting the bad guys in jail. I mean, that's pretty important for uh, everyday people to be able to go about their lives. And so what are you seeing regarding recruitment? Recruiting is an all-time low, and that's across the country. Ever since this defund the police movement um, that began several years ago and, and, the, and the negative narrative of law enforcement recruiting, uh, nobody wants to come do this job. Uh, because they're afraid of, of either being shot and killed, ambush style, or they're afraid of, um, of, of being prosecuted for doing their job. And they're vilified for doing their job. So recruiting is an all-time low uh, retirement. As soon as you hit your retirement mark, and, and even prior to retirement, people, uh, the retention rate is an all-time low because people are leaving this job. They are, they, they are trying to get out of this profession because it's not worth their life and the lives of their families uh, to continue doing it. And we are struggling to find people to to fill the, the levy, so to speak, of, of putting qualified candidates in positions of uh, protecting us and protecting our communities. Um, we are, uh, and, and here in Alabama, uh, it's it's really sort of a, agencies are recruiting from other agencies to pull those qualified officers out of those agencies to to take on themselves, uh, they're always open to. It's almost like you know you're you're sitting here, um, robbing Peter to pay Paul when it comes to law enforcement officers. Uh, there's uh, uh, agencies are having incentive bonuses and incentives to bring to bring those officers from other agencies to them because the numbers are so short and they're doing the best they can to fill their their officer rosters in order to provide protection for their communities. And uh, it leaves a hole in that other department there. Mm-hmm. that they're trying to figure out how to feel. And uh, it's just almost like officers swapping with each other in Alabama mm-hmm. to keep to keep people, uh, to keep these agencies functioning um, to protect their communities. Well, and Everett, so I, I, I think what you're saying is we, first of all, have to have clarity on this use of force uh, issue. And then also uh, I, uh, I hope that you're able to be successful to get a new trial on, uh, on this for Officer Darby. So Everett Johnson, I so appreciate uh, you sharing this information with us. Thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to come, come and talk to you about this, these issues. 
Well, our safe communities is so important and, uh, uh, it's just important that we really take a look at these important issues. And Lauren Levy with um, uh, Polygon Financial Group, he's an expert in the mortgage arena, and he's so helpful in bringing these uh, issues to the airwaves. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Every family needs a healthcare team that has your child's best interest as the priority, and Roots Medical is proud to offer exactly that. At Roots Medical, we strive to empower and educate both parent and child about the importance of gut health, how to implement healthy changes in the home, and of course, all of the benefits that come with a fully optimized immune system. Same day and sickness appointments are available and easy to schedule. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R-O-O-T-S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your healthcare concerns. Finding a firearm or training course can be intimidating for anyone, especially when you're new at it. Franktown has everything you need to get started or to improve with a firearm. Franktown is a family-friendly gun store and are invested in the success of their customers, no matter what your age, gender, or experience level is. Franktown sells firearms and ammo at or below MSRP, has an indoor range on site, and offers tactical and safety training. Franktown Firearms is always a safe and easygoing environment for all customers. Come to Franktown for a comfortable, no-pressure experience when shopping or learning about your firearm with approachable experts dedicated to your development as the owner of a firearm. Franktown Firearms has everything you need to get started and or to improve on any background experience. Visit klzradio.com slash franktown to schedule your firearms training today or find more information at franktownfirearms.com. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Check out our website. That is KimMunson.com. Sign up for our weekly email newsletter. You can um, uh, email me at Kim at KimMunson.com. And thank you to all of you who support us. Uh, and on the line with us, I think, is Eric. And uh, if you want to uh, give us a call, 303-477-5600. Eric, what's on your radar? Hi, Kim. You great American patriot, courageous little lady. I just adore you and your guys there at the station. You guys are magnificent. Back to your first segment. Okay, you know, Kim, when you get in your car, um, you have to strap on your seatbelt. Okay? Correct, correct. Okay, as a deterrent from your car getting stolen, I mean... Get the club as a deterrent. No, you put on your seatbelt when you get into your car. Put your club on your steering wheel when you get out of your car. As a deterrent, it's better than nothing. And your insurance agency perhaps may give you, um, you know, a lesser rate on your car insurance. That's a good point. Oh, that's a very, very good it's point. Just common sense. I have two vehicles, Kim. I have two clubs 
one on each steering wheel. <laughs> Much love. I'll let you go on that one. And okay. I pray for uh, Officer Darby. And I'm from Alabama. And then Officer Everett Johnson, boy, he came close to my heart when I heard Alabamians, if you will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bye now. Well, thanks so much, Eric. And uh, yes, a great idea on how to prevent crime. Although um, I would also like us to see a situation in Colorado that uh, we would start to deter crime so that uh, we don't, we are not number one or number two in car thefts in the United States. Mark in Black Forest, what's on your radar? Good morning. Uh, I think you're on to something there, Kim, um, as far as um, these bad laws putting uh, peace officers in an untenable position. I think uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the left was behind this uh, word change from peace officers to law enforcement, because if they put out a bad law, then law enforcement has to enforce it, right? Well, yes, conceivably, yes. And uh, and then, go ahead, Mark. No, um, that's all I had to say. Well, and so, Mark, to that point, um, when, and it could be at the city council level, it could be an ordinance, it could be at the county level, the state level, or the national level. First of all, we need to be electing people to office. And and this is another, I think, um, play on words when did they become elected officials they're actually elected representatives but officials makes it sound like they have power over us and so in this battle of the narrative we need to be calling the people that are elected elected representatives and i think that's i think that's very important but these elected representatives need to be passing ordinances and legislation that adheres to the vision of the the declaration that all men are created equal with these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and then also that all these ordinances and and uh, legislation um, also uh, adhere to the Constitution. And I almost just said something, and that was regulations. And now, Mark, I think it was you that that mentioned that regulations are being passed by bureaucrats that are unelected. And so we need to, to walk that back, correct, Mark? Correct, Mark? Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, we, and, and the requirements is another buzzword. You know, right. It's uh, like, like Ronald Reagan says, you know, uh, they work for us. Um, we don't work for the government. An excellent point. And I will share a story with you. Thanks so much, Mark and Black Forest. And 303-477-5600 is our number. But I was at the post office. This was a, um, well, it might have been pre-COVID, actually. And there was someone that was uh, talking to the person working at the post office. And he appeared to me like he was probably a new immigrant uh, to the United States and must have just gone through his classes to become a citizen because he was, he was very animated. He was very frustrated with whatever the problem was. And he goes, you work for me. And I thought, oh my gosh, he must have just realized or gone through, uh, his immigration classes, realize, you know, indicating that, uh, we the people are, are in charge here in Colorado or in America, uh, not the other way around. Uh, Kane had uh, texted me regarding what we were talking with Holly, Holly Green 
about, uh, what do they call it? Affordable housing. It's actually subsidized housing. Uh, and somebody said it's socialized housing, but they really are actually low income projects. And, uh, remember in Chicago when they did the projects became so, uh, dangerous and all that was subsidized housing. And we want people instead of importing um, and I'm even thinking from third world countries importing misery to the United States. What, what we want to do is we want to export uh, prosperity. That's what we really want to be exporting. And so instead of in creating subsidized housing projects, subsidized housing projects, we want to empower people to be able to become homeowners if they so choose. And the way to do that is to, is through freedom instead of free stuff. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, Luke, who do we have on the line? Uh, John Galt is on the line. John, what's on your radar? Good morning, Kim. So speaking of the difference or the, the ter- change of terminology from peace officer to law enforcement, I know you're aware of the term, the Overton window. And I believe yes. that everything that we see today coming from the left, they are very good at using the Overton window. And that concept is that you use terminology, change the words, uh, so that you change the way people perceive whatever particular issues that you're talking about. So with regards to, to police officers, it's the same thing. When you call them police officers, it means one thing, and then it changes the way people see police officers when you call them law enforcement officers. Laws, of course, and regulations, those are designed to control people. The more laws and regulations we have, the more control we have over the people. And so, unfortunately, we have legislators who believe it's their job to write more and more laws, and they just stack one on top of another, more laws year after year, hundreds of them in Colorado every single year, new laws to control us, right? right. Same thing with uh, Black Lives Matter, right? Black Lives Matter sounds really, really good, and pretty much everybody in the country wants to get on board when they hear Black Lives Matter, because black lives do matter. All lives matter, obviously. But, unfortunately, what's happening behind the scenes, clearly what's happening in Chicago to the blacks in Chicago, Black Lives Matter could care less what's happening to those people. Black Lives Matter could care less what's happening to all the all the babies before they're born, you know, the black babies. They could care less about the black lives. They have a socialist, Marxist, progressive agenda, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, John Galt, thank you so much. Um, very important. We're, we're just about out of time here for uh, the second hour. And uh, so, again, I thank all of you and... Uh, uh, just to, again, this battle of the narrative. That's why we do this show is to help you get your brain around these issues. And once we understand what's happening, then we can do something about it. And so I thank all of you. Uh, and uh, very appropriate for our, our quote for the end of the show. It's from Edmund Burke. He said, nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could do only a little. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. Turning further from my home Young like a new moon